The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Hey, thank you for joining us so much today. We are thrilled that you are just continuing to plug away with us through the Gospel of Luke. We are going to actually finish the 14th chapter today. So we are making headway through the book. Uh, If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that Jesus has been at the house of a prominent Pharisee. And they're scrutinizing him. They're trying to find something they can charge him with, some way to get him out of their area, or even more so just get rid of him altogether. And just like we saw in Luke chapter 12, after Jesus goes to the house of a Pharisee, his popularity springs up. The the reason for this is the Pharisees are not necessarily loved in their communities. They're they're high-ranking. They kind of control the moral climate, but they're not necessarily loved by the common folk. And so those common folk who kind of semi got to look at this luncheon and saw how Jesus handled the religious leaders, now the crowd following Jesus has swelled again, just as it did in Luke chapter 12. And as Jesus is leaving the town, he looks around at this huge crowd of people that are desiring to follow him, and he goes, it's time for you, my fans, to count the cost. You need to know whether or not you really, really understand what it takes to follow me, to be my disciple. And I'll be honest, 2,000 years ago, this would have been a very hard message to hear. But today, it's even harder. And it's harder for one reason. It's because we live in a culture where counting the cost really isn't in our vernacular. We want what we want now. And the results of the cost or what it will take to get that really doesn't matter. We just want to go get what we want now. And we have the means to do that. When I was growing up, I grew up what I would think would be kind of lower middle class. I heard all the time, hey, we can't afford that. You might want it. We can't afford that. So we're not getting it. That's economics 101. We can't afford it. We're not getting it. My children are being raised in a culture, and by parents, me being one of them, who they don't hear that a whole lot. They don't hear we can't afford it because they know we can. And even if we don't have the money to, they think they deserve it still. We live in an interesting time where, despite the fact that I went to a Bible college and didn't take an economics class, I I know this is a simple truth. If you can't pay for it, you shouldn't buy it. But every day when I go to my mailbox, what do I find there? These wonderful little envelopes that say, here's a credit card that'll give you X number of thousands of dollars, and you don't have to pay any interest on anything you buy for 12 months, 15 months, 18 months. Now, luckily, I was taught well enough that I've never gone too far down that path. But counting the costs is just something we don't do. And we've used those cards My wife is the primary breadwinner in our family. When she goes on maternity leave, we've used those cards to bridge the gap. I don't think that's necessarily wrong, but we keep having what we need, even though we can't afford to pay for it in that moment. We drive two cars, two very, very nice cars, that we literally just signed a piece of paper for and drove them off the lot. We didn't exchange any money. Now, the bank sends us a bill every month, and they expect us to pay, And they get their slice of that in the interest. But we didn't exchange any money purchasing these two cars. We just drove them off the lot. You go to Mathis Brothers. You want a new couch. Well, why not get a whole living room set? Because they won't make you pay for 120 days. You can figure it out between now and then, but you get to take it home today. 
Jesus is asking his followers in this moment to count the cost. And today, he's asking us to do the same thing. But we live in a culture that doesn't believe in counting the cost. We believe in reaping the reward and the benefit now, and to heck with the cost. We'll deal with that later. And when it comes to following Jesus, that's just not how it works. We, we don't get to do that. There's a guy named Dave Ramsey. I don't know if you know that name, but he's a huge name in the Christian world. He's become very famous for helping a lot of families get out of debt with principles as crazy as this. Pay cash for what you want. If you don't have the cash, then you shouldn't get it. At the end of the month, try to spend less than you make and save a little bit. He is rich and famous now for these crazy principles that's simply counting the cost. It's economics 101. And that's what Jesus wants his followers to do. And we're not talking about dollars and cents. We're talking about what it would take to be his disciple. And Jesus is not going to pull any punches in these next few verses. He's going to come out of the gate swinging because he doesn't want just fans. He wants people to understand what it costs to follow him. In Luke chapter 14, we'll start in verses 25 through 27. Here's what Jesus says to describe the cost of following him. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning around to them, literally stopping in his tracks and turning around because all these people were following. In verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, we've looked at verse 27 recently. Jared taught that here a few weeks ago. Uh, we looked at it in Luke chapter 9, that exact same phrase. So we're not going to spend a ton of time on that. But looking at verse 26 in particular, when Jesus turns around, stops a crowd of people who are willingly following him, excited to be following him, he stops them and goes, hey, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, uh, you got to hate your whole family and yourself. And hate is such a strong word, right? We, we don't use that word. We don't allow our children to use that word in our house. That's too much. Yet Jesus says that. What is he meaning? It's all about priorities. He's saying, if your love and devotion for me does not so surpass and supersede your love for your family and even yourself to the point that it, your love for me almost makes it look like you hate your family, then you can't be my disciple. Then you can't follow me. That is a line in the sand. Is it literal? Do you have to hate your family? No, no. But you do have to prioritize Jesus over your family. What Jesus is wanting to know is who gets the number one seat in your life? Because Simply saying, I follow you, simply knowing Jesus is the one I follow, simply possessing some kind of moral values, simply being a good person, it's not what Jesus requires. He wants to know he's the most important thing in your life. And to follow him, to be his disciple, you need to have count that cost and be ready for what it takes to do this to do what Jesus does, to teach what he taught, 
and to represent him in his absence. That's the definition of a disciple. You furthermore have to pick up your cross and follow him. That means to deny oneself totally, to say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life and I am not. And if this sounds like too much, it's not. But Jesus just doesn't pull punches for this reason. His grace, the grace of God the Father, it is free. Grace means unmerited favor. You don't earn it. You're just given it because God desires to do so because he's a gracious God. Grace is free, but we confuse free grace with cheap works. And following Jesus, it will cost you. And some of you listening today, you know this. You know the cost of following Jesus. It's economics 101. It's cost you relationships. People you used to hang out with don't want to hang out with you anymore. It's cost you jobs. It's cost you status. It's cost you your freedom. Your life is no longer your own. That is a very real cost. And Jesus wants to make sure you have count that cost. Are you willing to pay the price? Are you one of those who, like many of us in America, you want the benefits now and you want to pay later? I'll take Jesus now without the cost and, and we'll square up at the end when the collection agent comes. That doesn't work with Jesus because the cost is every day and it's everything. We don't get to delay it for 18 months. And some of you know that. And Jesus knows that he's just really rip the hearts out of some of those who are following him. And maybe this is hard for some of you to hear. So then he just gives some good advice. Luke chapter 14, verse 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to accomplish it, to complete it? The word in the Greek for estimate, it literally means to count pebbles. And so, so here's what it's saying. If you know, a tower is going to cost $1,000, at least you assume it will. You, you have to look, and, and you make each pebble represent $10, and you go, I'm, I'm gonna, I have this many pebbles that are for materials, and I have this many pebbles that are for labor, and then there's going to need to be insurance, and, and then, of course, there's going to be overages. And if you run out of pebbles before the tower is complete, you know you've made a mistake. And Jesus is asking us to look at our own lives and go, I want you to meticulously calculate the cost here. Is it worth this? Is it worth this? Is it worth this? Is it worth this? And when you're done estimating that, meticulously estimating that, and you say yes, then, then move forward. But don't just jump in blind like a lot of these people following him on this day. They're just following him because he did something cool at the Pharisee's house. He goes on in verses 29 through 30. For if you lay a foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you. You're the guy that built half a house, half a tower. Verse 30, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish it. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but on Highway 65 between Springfield and Branson, okay, if you're heading towards Branson, on the west there, there are these massive mansions that are now just like a six or seven house ghost town. 
This development was called Indian Ridge. It was started in 2006. It was supposed to be a multi-billion dollar development. Golf course, 900 acres, marina on Table Rock Lake, huge mansions, huge motel. Everything was in place, except if you recall what was happening in 2006, 2007, 2008. Not the best time to have a billion dollar investment in Branson. And those developers, they are now in prison because they pocketed investors' money. But you can drive right now. You can drive right now, and there'll be some pictures that you can see. You can drive by these ghost mansions. They're 80% done, and they're just sitting there. And every time I drive by there, because my family's a Branson family, every time I drive by there, I just look and I go, someone really messed up. This is ridiculous. These are gorgeous homes that are now just in ruins. And the local sheriff has to patrol them because kids go out there and deface them and graffiti them. And it's, it's just a nightmare. But exactly what Jesus is saying, you don't count the cost and you can't finish. That's a problem. And one reason, one reason why you should count the cost before you decide to follow Jesus, before you go all in, is so that you can avoid this ridicule. Because that foolish builder becomes the laughingstock of the whole city. That unfinished building stands as a monument to their failure. I've seen many, many people come out of the gate, especially in my youth ministry days. Many students come out of the gate so hot for Jesus, so ready to passionately follow him. And then once one of their friends or their significant other at that moment goes, I don't like the new you. I don't like the 2.0 Jesus version of you. Their boss says, I don't like that you won't work on Sundays anymore. I've seen this so many times where they go, oh, I, I just committed my life to the Lord and, and he is everything, but all these people now, they don't like me anymore and it's very hard for me to handle and I didn't expect this to be a cost of following Jesus. I thought it was just going to be awesome and fun and wonderful and I get to go to heaven and, and everything's great. I didn't, I didn't expect there to be any kind of pushback. And it's sad because more often than not, then they reject the one who is their Savior and Lord to appease that boyfriend or girlfriend, that boss, that family member who doesn't understand their decision. They reject God so that people will accept them. And that's what Jesus is saying. This huge crowd's following me, but the first signs of trouble, you're going to run. You're going to go back home. You don't really know what it takes to follow me. Jesus goes on to talk about big picture battles, Luke chapter 14, verses 31 through 33. He says, think about it like this. Suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? Double, double the troops. If he is not able, for whatever reason, to strategically win the battle, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Now, this is an interesting paradox. As Jesus is talking about his disciples, but what he's saying here is the first king has to believe that he can win. Even though he has less troops, he knows he might have to sacrifice them all, but he has to believe that he can win against insurmountable odds. The wise answer would be to send a delegation and ask for peace. But that's where faith comes in. That's where faith comes in. And Jesus is asking those following him, he's asking us today, would you risk it all? If you were that first king, would you risk it all for the chance of victory? But then Jesus changes the narrative and he says, what if victory was guaranteed? What if victory was guaranteed? Would you risk it all knowing 
that in doing so, you get to be the winning team. And, and that's what Jesus asks of us. He wants us to know that the cost of being on the winning team will be everything. He wants to know that you've counted the cost and seen that it's worth it. The battle's worth it. This life is worth fighting for and giving up everything for so that you might have him in the end. I don't know that a lot of us think about following Jesus in these terms. And that's why this is such a difficult passage. It's because these are exactly the terms that Jesus wants us to think in. It will be a battle. It will cost you everything. But in the end, the victory is guaranteed. So have you counted the cost? He finishes chapter 14 with these two verses. They're a little difficult to translate, but we'll do our best. 34 and 35 says this, Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for soil nor for the manure pile. It just has to be discarded. It has to be thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear this truth. Not just about the salt, but everything he's just said about counting the cost. Sodium chloride cannot actually cease to be sodium chloride. So salt cannot lose its saltiness. The only way it does so is to become contaminated. Something from the outside has to be put in it. And then it becomes useless. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Even if you count the cost, there are still going to be opportunities for this world to come in and contaminate you. And if you've counted the cost and chosen to follow me, you cannot allow the world to contaminate you because then you will lose your saltiness and you're useless to me. You, you can't ever be salt again. Now you're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. What about forgiveness? What about repentance? Yes, all that plays out. This, once again, is a line in the sand kind of thing. Jesus is saying, you want to follow me? Count the cost. You choose to follow me? Then you have to make sure the world does not contaminate you. But I will be there with my grace to meet you. Following Jesus can't just be a fad, something you do for social status. It must be something you do with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It will cost you much, possibly everything. But the reward is everything. And so I ask you today, church, is the reward worth it? Is it worth the cost? Only you can answer this question. It's one you have to wrestle with. It's one you have to process through. Is following Jesus something you desire above all else? I mean, I think for most of us, the answer is yes and no. Like, there's obviously going to be things that, that pique my interest. There's going to be things that woo my heart. But yeah, I want to follow Jesus. He wants you to be able to answer that definitively. Not that you'll do anything perfectly, but he wants you to be able to answer it definitively. Will you count the cost? Will you choose to be his disciple? Not perfect, but understanding that this is not a game. It's complete surrender that leads to an abundant life. That's the swap. You give up everything that you could have in this world so that he gives you an abundant life you could never have without him. It's a beautiful trade, actually, once we count the cost, once we do the math. It's a life you will never experience until you count the cost and choose him. And so today, as we close, I just ask, will you count the cost? Will you do the work? Will you 
pray for wisdom and the grace of God to say yes to him. As he's already said yes to you, as he's already sent his son to redeem you, his grace is sufficient for all of your needs. Will you count the cost and say yes to him and ask him today? Ask him to come and surround you with his love so that you might see that the transaction you're being asked to make is one that you not only should want to make, but that is of great value to you. It costs you everything, but you get him in the end. It costs you everything, but in choosing to give up everything, you get him. That's a transaction I'm willing to make. That's a cost I'm willing to pay. And Jesus wants to make sure that we've all thought through that. No strings attached, no games. Here's what it takes. And I pray today that the Holy Spirit will allow you to make that decision. Father in heaven, we thank you that your son Jesus has shown us a way to live, to follow you, to serve you, to love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's paved the way by doing that in obedience to you. I pray today that we would place our faith and trust and hope in your son Jesus, having count the cost of what that will mean for us and for our life, and knowing that the reward we get will be so much better. We get you, Jesus. Just come and fill us with your presence. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.